Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, senior pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. He's not talking about his favorite mug when he says this. There is a cup that I am eternally grateful that someone else has taken from me. It has my name on it. We'll find out what he means today on Resonate. I don't think it's an accident that you're joining us here. Before we sat down to record, my engineer and I prayed for you. God has a message for you. It's the good news of the gospel, and it's what you're going to hear today. Last week, Pastor Trent pointed out that the lack of peace in our own lives can be a result of our stubbornness and unwillingness to yield ourselves to God. In contrast to that, Trent took us to a painful scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you have a Bible, you might want to open to Matthew chapter 26 and follow along. Here's Pastor Trent. This is the last day of Jesus' life. He is about to be arrested. He's about to be dragged into court and unjustly tried. And he's about to be sentenced to death on a cross. And the night before that happens, he spends the night in prayer. And we pick up, pick up the story in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is an interesting word. It actually means olive press. Here's the first thing we're going to learn. It's this, that we need to keep moving from trouble to transparency. Keep moving. No matter how far you've come from prayer, how, no, no matter how little you've come to prayer, I want to invite you, keep moving into the place of prayer. And the first step is to move from trouble to transparency. Jesus was facing the greatest trouble of his life, the cross. Do you understand, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the trouble and the sorrow that he was facing actually began in another garden? It began in the Garden of Eden. I don't know what's on your trouble list. If you just, if I ask you to write, like, you know, list your top 10 troubles and your top 10 sorrows, it wouldn't take us very long. We could kind of fill up that list. Do you know that everything on your list began in the Garden of Eden? In the original garden, Adam ran away from God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus ran toward God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam broke God's law and incurred death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus obeyed God's law and brought life and peace. In the Garden of Eden, Adam bent his will away from God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus bent his will toward God. And all of the trouble that began in the Garden of Eden, Jesus was feeling the weight of in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why he was so sorrowful. And it was so painful to him. Do you know what happened? Another writer in the Bible, Luke, tells us that Jesus began to sweat in anguish and those sweat drops turned to blood. That's how much pressure and anguish he was under. And yet, under that, 
he ran to God. What's the lesson here for us? Whatever trouble you're facing, whatever sorrow you brought in, whatever lack of peace, let it drive you to the place of prayer. Tell God, I don't like it. God, would you change it? Will you fix it? You can ask God for anything. But in the midst of all of that emotion, you've got to get to the place where you yield your will to God. You can bring all of your tears, all of your anguish, all of your anxiety, all those huge emotional things. You have to bring your emotion under your will. Do you see it there in the end of verse 39? He says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus had a will. You have a will. Your will is your decider. It's like a light switch. It's either your will or it's God's will, and you get to switch it. The reality is you are following Jesus Christ as close as you have decided to follow him. Every step you have chosen, I will or I will not bend my will to God. In this scenario, Jesus is giving the example to us that we must get to the place in prayer where we say, it is not about my will. It is about your will. After I've asked, after I've pleaded, I've got to get to the place where I say, I surrender. Lord, do what you want to. My life is yours. Moving from trouble to transparency. Secondly, moving from temptation to praying. Look here at verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Um, Jesus is confronting Peter's will. Do you know why Peter was asleep? Because he decided, I will choose to spend this hour sleeping when Jesus wanted him praying. Verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Peter should have been praying when he was sleeping. And the reason is because Jesus knew what was coming for Peter. Jesus didn't want him praying because somehow that was going to benefit Jesus. He wanted Peter praying because praying was going to benefit Peter. Peter was about to face two of the greatest temptations of his life. Because in about 10 minutes, what's about to happen? Do you know what's getting ready to happen? The soldiers, the Roman soldiers are about to show up in the Garden of Gethsemane and arrest Jesus. Now, interestingly, at that point, Peter wakes up. Peter doesn't want to sleep anymore. Peter wants to fight. Interestingly, it's hard to keep Peter awake when he needs to pray. It is not hard to keep him awake when he's looking for a fight. Peter would rather fight than pray. So he hops up and gets in between the Roman soldier and Jesus because after all, who needs more protection in the universe than God? So Peter inserts himself in between the threat and God 
and he pulls out his sword and starts swinging it around like it's a lightsaber and misses and cuts off the ear of the soldier. Jesus is watching this happen like, what are you doing? Picks up the ear, puts it back on the soldier. I've always thought if Jesus could put the ear on, he could have taken it off. And I think he was better aimed than Peter was. He could have taken his head off. So the whole lesson is, Peter, you just faced a temptation that you failed. You started fighting when you should have been yielding. And the reason you wanted to fight is because you refused to pray. And if you had been praying when I told you to pray, you wouldn't be fighting when you should have been yielding. How many of us have gotten into fights because we failed to pray? How many of us refuse to yield and serve and love and trust because we didn't pray? The time to pray is not in the moment of temptation. The time to pray is before the moment of temptation. The second temptation that Peter was about to face was a few hours later when he was accused by a little girl of being with Jesus. And he completely folds. He completely denies that he was with Jesus. So isn't this interesting? In the time that Peter should have yielded, he stands up and fights. And the time that he should have stood up, he completely yields and folds. Jesus knew that was coming, and that's why he said, you have got to pray because of the temptation you will have to yield when you should fight and fight when you should yield. It's interesting, another phrase here that we use all the time is an excuse. Verse 41, Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Have you ever used that as an excuse? I mean, it's Sunday morning. Get about six inches of snow. I'm not speaking to any of you that are actually here right now, but I'm speaking to those of you that are viewing now on the Internet. <laughs> you know, like, I really wanted to be there. But, you know, it's kind of cold out there and it's, the roads are slick and the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, Jesus said that, right? Wait a minute. You've got something Peter didn't have. The Holy Spirit. This is before the actual Holy Spirit was poured out, the opportunity to fill us to control us, and now that we in the New Testament age have the Holy Spirit, it is simply a battle of yielding our very strong flesh to the Spirit. The Spirit is willing. The question is, does He have enough control over you that He gets control of your very strong flesh? Peter failed the temptation because he wasn't filled with the Spirit. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. So I would invite you, would you move from the place of temptation to the place of praying? Here's the last thing. Keep moving from asking to yielding. Keep moving from asking to yielding. Look at verse 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. Now, just stop right there. Don't, don't go 
too fast through scripture here. Remember who we're talking about. Jesus went the second time and prayed. Why? Why did Jesus go the second time and pray? Answer, because God the Father didn't answer his prayer the first time. And so he goes and asks again. Do you give up after the first time? Jesus didn't. He goes and asks the second time. He went away and prayed. He says, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 43, and again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time. Why did he go pray the third time? You should know the answer by now. Because God didn't answer the second time. So Jesus goes the third time and asks, saying the same words again. What were the same words that Jesus kept saying over and over again? It was this. Let this cup pass. Let this cup pass. Let this cup pass. I don't want to drink it. I don't want to taste what's in there. He prays three times, God, fix it. God, change it. I don't want this assignment. It's okay to say that. Question, what was in the cup? Jesus uses all of this anguish and sorrow and trouble. He turns it into an analogy. There's something in this cup that God wanted him to drink. Let me read you a couple of Old Testament passages, and let's see if we can figure out what was in the cup. This is Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Jeremiah 25, 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath. Do you know what Jesus saw when he looked into that cup? He saw the wrath of God for every sin of every person who would ever believe. He saw the anger and the fury and the hatred that a holy God has toward the unholiness of men and women like you and me. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stared into that cup. And it was the will of the Father for Jesus to endure the wrath of God on the cross on behalf of every person who would ever believe. Can I ask you this? Do you have room in your theology for a God of wrath? A God that gets angry? Now listen... The fact that God gets angry over sin is actually good news. You want a God that gets angry about sin. You say, no, I just believe in a loving God. He just loves us so much. God's wrath is an expression of God's love. The opposite of God's love is not wrath. The opposite of God's love is indifference. 
If God just stood back and ignored all of the the unholiness and injustice and evil in this world, that would be a God that, that doesn't care about you. You don't want a God like that. The God of the Bible is a God of wrath. And most of us don't have a problem believing that God is angry at sin. We just don't want to think of him as angry at our sin. We like God being angry at everybody else's sin. God, did you see what that person did to me? And did you see how evil that was over there? God, I can't wait for you to pour out your wrath on these people. We just have a problem thinking about God being angry at us. Every morning when I come into the office, I kind of have a little routine. I come in the office. I'm usually carrying my backpack with my computer and my Bible. I go to my office. I dump it there. And then I make my way down the hallway over here back into the kitchen. And some gracious people that got here before me fixed a nice coffee. And we have a cupboard up here. And I open the cupboard. And, and there's just all kinds of assorted coffee mugs. And there are, everybody's kind of contributed to the bunch. And then we take the ones that you leave behind. Thank you so much for your donations to the church. And we put them in the cupboard over here. And some are better than others, you know. And so when you go in there, um, now let me, a little secret about me. I'm not real particular about my coffee. I'm not a coffee snob like Pastor Tyler. Um, but uh, I just, it, to me, it is, I'm, I'm much more concerned about the cup than I am what's in the cup. Right. And there are some cups of coffee in there that 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 I have contributed. And sometimes they're all gone because the people have stolen my cups. And so I have to take I have to steal uh, from others that have left their lame cups in there. And I sometimes I don't get to enjoy the cup of coffee because somebody took my cup. I get upset about this. Now, there is a cup that I am eternally grateful that someone else has taken from me. It has my name on it. Every bad attitude, every carefully concealed lustful thought, every selfish motive that you and I have had adds another drop in the cup of God's wrath. And the scene that we are reading about is Jesus staring into this cup, begging his father for someone else to drink it. Here's the truth. Someone has to drink from the cup that has your name on it. It is either going to be you You will drink of that cup eternally separated from God in a place called hell. Or if you will yield your will to Jesus Christ, he willingly will drink from your cup. All of the wrath, all of the fury, all of the hatred of the wrath of God, Jesus drank it on the cross in your place as a substitute. He drank the cup of God's wrath that was meant for you. And Jesus said, I don't want to, but I will. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares about you. That's how holy he is. So holy that he would take away your guilt, your sin, and the fury meant for you by taking your cup.
Jesus said, your will be done. And in doing so, he gives us the pattern for our prayers. In every situation, in every circumstance, we must yield our will to God. Jesus sees what's in that cup and he drinks it because he knows it's the will of the Father. And I don't know what trouble or sorrow you're going through. It's not as bad as what Jesus went through that day. And it could be that today, in prayer, for the first time, you go beyond asking, you go a little farther in prayer and yield and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. What, what do you need to yield to God? Do you need to yield your life to God in repentance and faith for the first time, getting off the throne of your life, bowing before some, a God that created you? Quit trying to manufacture your life and just yield your will to God. And in, in doing so, you receive the grace of God for salvation. You can be right with God. Jesus will take your cup. Yield your will to him. For most of us, you've done that. And so in a thousand daily choices, we have to yield. We have to yield the right to be right. We have to yield our reputation. We have to yield our right to be loved. Yield our right to be respected. Yield our right to control others. Yield our right to our money, our space, our time. Not mine, Lord. It is yours. In order to pray, not my will be done in order to pray, God, your will be done, my will must go. I've got to yield the right to be served. I've got to yield the right to be made much of. I've got to yield the right to understand why things happen. I've got to yield the right to have all of my questions answered. I've got to yield my right to live where I want to live. I've got to yield my right to, to marry who I want to marry and work where I want to work. I've got to yield my right to every moment of my day. God, I go on record. Here's what I want, but I will what you want. And I will do what you want me to do. Your will be done. Have you done that? What do you need to surrender to the Lord in prayer? Just a few verses before this passage, we're told about a time when Jesus gathered those disciples together to celebrate the Last Supper. In verse 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to His disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is My body. Verse 27, And He took a cup, another cup, a different cup. And when He had given thanks, He gave it to them and said, Drink of it. All of it. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do you understand that in order to be made right with God, in order to be a person of faith, in order to go to heaven, the, there has to be a cup exchange. Jesus is willing to take the cup of God's wrath and he offers you the cup of his forgiveness. You have to activate your will and say, I receive the forgiveness. I, see, I receive the substitute 
atonement for my sin. And that's why the gospel is good news. The cup with your name on it, the cup full of God's wrath against your sin was taken by Jesus on the cross and you don't have to drink it. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend The agonies of Calvary You the perfect Holy One crushed your Son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now see. If you'd like to visit Harvest Bible Chapel for a worship service, go to harvestgranger.org to find when and where you can come. Click where you see Worship With Us right there in the middle of the screen. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. Or find us on Facebook by searching for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Well, do you know what the most often repeated command is in the Bible? Find out next week on this program. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart and mind this week.
Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, harvestgranger.org. 